0: so good to see you in the house of the Lord this afternoon, I wanna welcome all those that are joining us online today, and my name is Nate, and I'm glad to be back again sharing God's word with you, and the last month or so you guys have been in a series called God and Money. Pastor Ryan started out the first few weeks talking about the importance of the tithe in the life of a believer. Pastor Amy last week talked about generosity, and above and beyond giving, giving and offering. And today I wanna finish out this series and then actually Pastor Ryan's gonna come up at the end and uh, conclude it really quickly. It's gonna be an amazing time together around God's word. I wanna look at Matthew chapter 25 this afternoon. Matthew chapter 25, it's a parable from the words of Jesus known as the parable of the talents. Here's what God's word says. Are you ready for the word this afternoon? Verse 14 says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey and the man who had received five went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Also the one with two gained two more, but the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money." After a long time, the master of the servants returned and he settled accounts with them. And to the man who had received five, he brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. Does anybody want to hear that from our Lord one day? Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things, come and share your master's happiness. And then the man with two talents, he also came and said, master, you entrusted me with two talents, see I've gained two more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many, come share in your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one talent, came and he said, master, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. I was afraid, so I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, listen to this, this is a harsh rebuke for the man with one talent. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Then You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back With interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there was weeping and gnashing teeth. I want to look at this parable from the words of Jesus this evening and talk about living ready. Living ready. This parable of Jesus is in the context of Jesus getting ready to go to the cross. He's towards the end of his ministry here on earth and he's speaking to his disciples and he's preparing them to live thinking about the end. He's he's preparing them to live with the end in mind. And he tells them a parable of a master who has wealth And he uses the word talents. Now this word talents in the parable is is actual currency. This is actual money, this is resource, this is wealth. And talent could be translated from the Greek language there to be about 6,000 denarii. That was the currency of the day, 6,000 denarii. And one talent, 6,000 of these, would be the equivalent of a day worker's job for 20 years. A day worker's pay for 20 years. So even the one that got one talent, you hear just one talent, you think, oh, just one, that's not a lot. No, this is substantial. This has weight to it. This matters. He entrusts them with these finances, with his wealth, and he goes away, and when he comes back, he expects there to be a return on the investment that he had with these three servants. So I've got some observations about all three servants in the parable in general, and then we're gonna talk about the servants that were good and faithful, and the one that was lazy and wicked. Does that sound good, you with me tonight? All right, first thing is this, that the parable shows us that God is the master, and we are the servants. God is the master, and we are the servants. We must be reminded, it must be forefront in our minds, that God is our master, he is our Lord, he is king, he is in charge, he is, the, he is the leader, we are the followers. He's the one we tune our ear towards. He is Lord, he is Christ, he is king, he is master, and we get the privilege to serve the master of the world. What an incredible thing that he's the master, and we are the servants. God does not exist to glorify us, we exist to glorify him. He does not exist to magnify me, I exist to magnify him. I exist to serve him and worship him and give him my all. Why? Because I'm his servant, he's the master. He's the master. The second thing we see from the parable is this, we are owners of nothing and stewards of everything. At the beginning of the parable, before the master gives the servants the wealth, it's his wealth. When he gives it to the servants, it's still his wealth. And when he comes back for the return, it's still his wealth. He is the owner of it the entire time. He just entrusts the servants to steward it temporarily for the time they have it. God is the owner of everything. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything. Everything in it, the world and all who live in it. How many know everything we have is from God? It's his. Everything we have is from God. And, and we have it because God entrusted us to it. God owns it all and we steward what God has given us. He is our provider. He is our source. Every good and perfect gift, the book of James says, comes down from heaven from God to his people. A few weeks ago, school started back in Virginia for my son. My son is now in fifth grade and uh, he had his first week and so he we went out to celebrate after his first week of fifth grade by going to Chick-fil-A. Come on somebody, that's what you do to celebrate. And. And my boy loves some french fries. I mean, the boy loves some french fries. He can, he can go through some french fries. And so, so he got his large order of french fries to celebrate the first week. And occasionally, I just like to test them and like to just put the question out there while he's eating his french fries. I'll say, hey, can I have two fries? <laughs> and my son has the audacity <laughs> to immediately grab his large box of fries and pull them closer to himself. He will set up his drink and everything else on the table as a barrier. He will even get it and slide over to the other seat in the table to get away. He will guard with his life those fries when I ask him for two fries. And I just have to sometimes stop and say, my son, those fries came from me. I bought you those fries. I don't need those two fries. I can go buy my own fries. And every French fry in your future will come from me. You are withholding two from the one who can give you all the fries. I can give you all the fries. Can I have some fries? And I just think sometimes God in heaven, who has entrusted us with what he's put in our hands, I think sometimes God in heaven just has to chuckle and say, what, what, what? When, when, we, when we withhold from God what's already his. He, he gave them to us, he has the ability to give us more. He doesn't need what we have, but he asked for our partnership in stewarding what he has put in our hands with our time here. He's the owner, we are the stewards. You could summarize it by saying this. All I have is God's was given to me by God and I'm managing it for God. All that I have is his. I have it because he gave it to me and I'm managing it for him, for his kingdom, for his glory. All three of these servants in the parable, they were given three things. All of us to, tonight are given three things. We were given weight, opportunity, and expectation. We were given weight, opportunity, and expectation. First, we were given weight. The the talents were in actual weight, like in pounds. They were a weight of currency. Every single servant left the master with some weight. They left with different weight according to their abilities. Some got five, one got two, and one got one, but I love that no one left the master empty handed. Nobody left with nothing. Nobody got nothing. God entrusted every single one of them, and God entrusts every single one of us with weight. God has put something in your life, He has put something in your hand. Everyone has something. Nobody leaves with zero from the master. And we can, we can, Begin to belittle our gift and not maximize what God has put in our hand when we live by comparison, can't we? Here's, here's what comparison is. Comparison is looking what God has put in your hand. Be, being grateful for the fact that Almighty God would put something in our hands to entrust us with. And then we look to the left and we look to the right. And all of a sudden, because of what we see at the left and the right, we begin to feel less about what we see in our hands. And it has nothing to do with what's in our hands but what we saw in their hands. Comparison is a crazy thing because it's filtering what God has called you to through the lens of what what someone else is called to. And the problem with that is you're not called by God to do what they're called to do and they're not called to do what you're called to do. God has entrusted every one of us with something to be faithful with what he's put in our hands. Every single one of you has some weight. You've been given something by God. Had, God has entrusted you with something. We haven't just been given weight, we've been given opportunities. See, the master wouldn't give us the talents if we wouldn't have the opportunity to steward it well for him. The master wouldn't give us something of value if he knew that we couldn't use it for his kingdom, for his glory, for his heart. He's given us weight and he's given us opportunity, but he's also given us expectation. Did you know the master expects an eternal return on his investment? He he expects that we use what it is he's given us for his glory, for his kingdom, for things that will matter in eternity. Because here's the reality, did you know not every work you do or everything you do will actually matter? There's, there's a lot of ways you can spend your money, there's a lot of ways you can spend your time, there's a lot of ways you can spend your talent, uh, but there's, there's, there's not, every way you do it is not a way that will matter for eternity. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians three, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that was already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. And then look at this. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So all of our work is going to be tested by fire, and only what matters for eternity will last. And so so God is expecting a return on his investment for something that will last in eternity. You say, well, what is that? Well, that's building the local church. That's seeing people that are lost hear the gospel and come to faith in Christ. That's raising up the next generation in the ways of God and in the house of God. That's investing into strong marriages and strong homes and strong communities. It's building the kingdom of God. Those things will last. The master has an expectation that we will invest what he's given us into those things that will pass the test. The next observation is this, we will all give an individual account to the Lord one day. Keyword here, individual. I was thinking about it in the parable, if the master came and judged the parable as a group, and this is a whole different story because, okay, think about it with me. The master gives as a group eight talents. When he comes back, as a group, his return on the investment is 15. As a group, eight, returning 15 is a really good investment. Come on, anybody, anybody would say, hey, if I knew I can give eight and get back 18, that's a great investment, that's a great return, that is of great value if they were judged as a group. Several years ago, I was desiring, hoping to get better at golf, and I remember a few guys that are actually really good at golf, they invited me because they knew I had aspirations to be a good golfer. They invited me to play in a tournament. They say, hey, come play this tournament with us, be on our team. And so the, the team was, the four of us, and the way the tournament worked, it's called Captain's Choice, where all four of the players on the team hit the shot, and then you only take the ball that was the best shot out of the four. And then you go to the best shot, and then you all four hit again, and you only take the best shot from all four. And so this is what I'm just starting out and I, I am not lying to you or exaggerating to you. We went through the whole round and those guys did not use my shot one time. <laughs> I was totally useless, I was worthless out there and I, I just realized that after a few holes and I was like, guys, I'm just gonna be your prayer covering in Jesus' name, birdies and eagles, in Jesus' name. Just gonna be the prayer covering out here because I'm no good out here on the, on the course. So. But, but we had two guys that were actually really good. So, so we did good. So we get back to the clubhouse afterwards and they're putting the scores on the board as everybody's coming back into the clubhouse. And as all the scores are coming in, we're like, we're in first, <laughs> like we're gonna win. And sure enough, all the teams get in and like we won the tournament. So they like bring our team up and you know, I'm up there with our team, you know, like, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know. <laughs> It was a good game, good game, good round, guys. You know, They're giving out prizes, gift cards, and all this stuff, and I'm taking it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. I'm like shaking people's hands. Yeah, thanks for coming out today. I'll I'll give you a lesson later. Yeah, thanks, you know. On the winning team, on the winning team, what they didn't know was I contributed nothing. (laughs) Why? Because the way that tournament worked, how it was judged was we were judged by a group. When we face Christ one day, when Christ returns, we won't be judged collectively, we'll be judged personally, be judged individually. Think about this church, even in the impact of GC here in the valley, and from talking with some of the team and we're talking to some of you, hearing stories about you just out amongst. The community, and you meet somebody at your workplace. You meet somebody at a school, and they're like, "Oh, you go to GC? My neighbor goes to GC. Oh my gosh, my uncle got saved at GC. I love GC. You're part of GC, and and you know you're like if you know, if you're a part of this church, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, great, yeah, thanks so much, yeah, yeah, GC. But I would just respectfully ask, have you contributed here? Have you have you contributed here? Have you have you been a part? Of, of the winning team, because here's what, here's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said it like this, God will not ask what your church did. He'll ask you what you did yourself. They'll ask you what you did yourself. See, the parable of the talents shows us that we will not be judged collectively as a group, but we individually will have to face God one day with what we did with what he gave us, with what he gave us. You can't borrow someone else's faithfulness. You can't cultivate a devotion to God based on someone else's devotion to God. You have to pray prayers of faith yourself. You have to give sacrificially yourself you have to walk in faithfulness for yourself nobody else can do that for you i know you have a praying mom but you need to pray i i I know you have a great small group leader that encourages you at church but you need to seek the lord i I know the person in your row they give sacrificially but you need to give sacrificially why because we won't be judged as a group we'll have to answer to god on what we did with what he gave us what he gave us a great example of this is in John chapter 12. There's a woman named Mary. The scripture describes in John 12 verse three, it says she took a pint of pure and art an and expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet and she wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The scriptures go on to describe this perfume that she broke and used as a sacrificial act of worship to Jesus. This perfume was worth a year's salary. This was an extravagant act of worship. This was, this was a radical act of devotion for Mary to Jesus, and Jesus commends her for it. Jesus says that this is, this is incredible worship, and she's commended for her faith. But here, here's the thing about her sacrifice there, is that was Mary's perfume. She she didn't borrow that from someone else. That was no one else's gift to give. She sacrificed. She got down at the feet of Jesus. She gave sacrificially in worship. Why? Because no one can worship Jesus for Mary. Mary has to worship for Mary. Nobody can love the Lord and devote themselves to the Lord for you. You have to. And we'll give an account one day individually on what we did with what God gave us. All right, so we've seen some principles overall in the parable, and so now I want to look at, first, the wicked and the lazy servant. The wicked and the lazy servant. Here's what the servant says when the master comes back. He says, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, afraid, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Seems at first almost a little harsh that Jesus The master calls this servant wicked and lazy. Because you can look at it and say, well, he didn't even lose the talent. Like it's not like he went out and spent it, just squandered it, it's not like he went out and spent it on himself, it's not like he went out and lost it and was careless. No, what he did was he was afraid and he played it safe. He was more afraid of failure than he was of God. He feared risk more than he feared God. He feared failure more than he feared God. Do you fear failure more than Christ? He wanted to play it safe, he wanted to hold it tight. He, he almost has this assumption about the master that the master is so big, the master is so wealthy, the master is so mighty, the master is so great, and he's just given me one talent. Here's the mindset that this servant had. It was this, I can't do very much. My small talent won't really move the needle. This, this guy is so wealthy, this guy is so mighty, he is so powerful, he's just given me this one talent. If, if I bring a return on this talent or not, it won't matter. If I steward this talent well or I don't steward it well, it won't make a difference because it's just one talent. It won't move the needle, it won't make a difference, it's not big enough to matter. And I just wonder if this attitude or this kind of spirit has ever crept into your mind where you've said, Man, my, my little tithe, my little offering won't make a difference. What's the difference? It won't really matter. My little word of encouragement that I try to give to my kid or I try to give to my, to my coworker, that they don't even seem to listen to, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, I just serve here at GC just a few times a month. And, you know, it's just, it's just serving in one way a few times a month. And they seem to have plenty of other people. Me, me serving, it's not really making a difference. It really doesn't matter. That that one prayer I prayed in faith, just me and God. God's the only one that knows the prayer that I prayed. It's just one prayer. It doesn't really matter. And I'd like to ask you this evening, who told you that one talent didn't matter? Because it wasn't the master. See, the master, when he entrusts the talents to the servants, the master doesn't make much of the five and make little of the one. No, it's the same. He gives each to each servant. He doesn't say one is great and one is not. Who, who said that it's not a big deal? Who said that it won't move the needle? Who said that it's not a difference maker? Ask Moses if the staff in his hand at the edge of the Red Sea was just a stick in his hand. Ask the boy that appeared before Jesus in the crowd with his five loaves and two fish if that was just a little bit of food to feed the crowd. No, 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 God doesn't need a lot, he needs our faith. He doesn't need a lot, he needs our obedience. He doesn't need a lot, he needs us to trust him. (laughs) Nothing done in obedience to God is a small thing. Look, I want that to get into your spirit tonight. There, there is no such thing as a small act of faith. There is no such thing as an insignificant, uh, tiny act of obedience and faith to the kingdom of God. No, 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 anything done in faith is a big deal. Anything done in faith, to, in anything God's called us to do, it's a big deal. It matters and God sees it. So listen, if your tithe is big or it's small, give it cheerfully with all of your heart. If your offering is big or your offering is small, give it faithfully and in obedience to the spirits leading in your life. If you encourage one person this week or you encourage 10,000 this week, do it with all of your heart knowing it makes a difference in Jesus' name. Give knowing that it matters to God. Serve here at GC faithfully knowing it matters to God. Pray prayers of faith over your life and your family and your church and your friends and your city knowing it matters to God. Share Christ with people who are lost because it matters to God. Love your family, serve your spouse, love your kids because it matters to God. Nothing done in obedience to God is insignificant. It matters to God. The servant that was wicked and lazy teaches us this, that God didn't give you a talent to sit on it, but to sow it. Didn't give us a talent to sit on it, but to sow it. So listen, quit playing it safe. Quit fearing failure more than you fear God. Let's not sit on what God has given us. Let's get to work with what God has given us because it matters to him. The good and the faithful servants. The good and the faithful servants. Verse number 20. The master comes back, and I love, I love how ready he is to report to the master. He says, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Note, he didn't say share in the happiness that you got from the good return. He said share in my happiness. When you're faithful with what God has entrusted to you, you don't just get the joy of the faithfulness that you experience, you get to share in his happiness, in his joy. How incredible is that? He says, well done, good and faithful servants. The same thing with the guy that gave two. It was the same response, it was the same praise from the master regarding two. Both of these servants showed an eagerness to get to work with what God gave them. Both of these servants did not sit on it, they put it to action right away, which is why he says, well done. Not well intended, not well thought out, not well strategized, not well hoped for, but well done. Look, my wife is not grateful for the house chores that I intended to do. (laughs) She's grateful for the ones, come on, somebody, that I do do, that I did. Well done. To hear well done, we have to do. It requires action. It requires faith. It requires movement. These servants put what they had to work. It's also important to notice that the master wasn't commending any number, because one came back with five more, one came back with two more. The master doesn't commend the number. He's not looking for a number, he's looking for goodness and he's looking for faithfulness. Good and faithful. My job and your job is goodness and faithfulness with what God has given me and with what he's given you. God is not looking for a successful servant. He's not looking for a popular servant. He's not looking for a a fancy or flashy servant. God is looking for a faithful servant, a faithful servant. I wanna close with one scripture from the parable and I think it's actually one of the most dangerous scriptures of the parable. If, if If you don't catch it, I think it can be a danger. It's verse number 19 where the scripture says this, after a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, you say, what's, what's dangerous about that? The very first part of that sentence, I think, is the danger. After a long time. There's danger in a long time because here's what a long time can do. A long time can trick you into believing that the time won't come. A long time can trick you into believing that you won't actually have to give an account. A long time can create the circumstance and situation in which it seems so far down the road that you can begin to get distracted with lesser things than what the master has called you to. A long time can tempt you to think, I don't need to be faithful today, I can be faithful then. I, I, don't, I don't need to give God my yes now. I don't need to be faithful now. I don't need to live sacrificially and give sacrificially. Now, I can do that later. I can punt the ball down the field. I can do that another day because I've got a long time. But here's the truth from the parable and from the entirety of God's word is that Christ is coming back. The master is returning. The master is coming back for his church, for his bride. He's coming back one day to make all things new. He's coming back to right every wrong. He's coming back to call us home. And when he comes back, we're gonna have to give an account. We're gonna have to give an account. When I was in middle school, I was on a basketball team and I had a basketball coach that instilled something in us that I never forgot. There was some kids that were in their first few years on the team. and they weren't getting a lot of playing time so they tended to not treat the practices very serious. They tended to not get everything together for game day and they, they were a little bit more casual in their pursuit of excellence on the court and the coach would always try to instill in them like, hey, you like bring your A game no matter what because you never know when your number is gonna be called. You never know, you never know. And the coach would always pull this group of guys together and he would say this, he would say this. He would say, hey, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. He was trying to say, hey, no matter what practice it is, no matter what day it is, bring your best. Give it your all. Give it your whole heart. Leave it all out on the court. Give your best. Why? Because when your number's called, you don't want to have to scramble to try to get ready. You want to just be ready. Believe that's the heart of Jesus in these parables as he's finishing up his earthly ministry and he's instilling this into his disciples. He's saying, hey, I'm going to come back and I want you to be ready. Yeah. Stay ready so you won't have to get ready. Stay ready so that when Christ returns, you can say the same words of John. It's the very last scripture in the entire Bible. John's talking about the return of Christ, and John is not worried. John is not like, oh my gosh, Christ is coming. Oh my gosh, what do I need to do? But what does John say when he thinks about Christ's return? He says, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Why? Because he's ready. He's ready. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So let's live ready. Let's live with goodness and faithfulness. Say, Pastor Nate, I've blown it before. I haven't lived with goodness and faithfulness of what God's given me. In Jesus' name, let's live, let's live faithful today. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bow your head and close your eyes all over the room with me. I wanna pray for you this evening. I want to pray for a group of people first that came here tonight maybe you're watching online you're far from God you don't know Christ The most important thing you can do to get ready to stand before Christ one day you know what what you did with your resources and what you did with your talent and what you did with your time we're all gonna to have to give account for that but that's gonna be a secondary question the primary question you're gonna to have to answer when you stand before the Lord one day is what did you do with his son Jesus? Did you repent of your sins and trust him as your Lord? Did you believe in the good news of the gospel and allow what Christ did on the cross to save you? And tonight if you're in here and you, you haven't given your life to Christ, that is the primary thing you need to do tonight to get ready to meet the Lord. And you're here tonight because the spirit of God is drawing you to him and God would love to save you tonight. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer in your heart with me. Say, dear God, I believe in your son Jesus. I believe that he came to this earth and lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross, was put in the tomb and rose again three days later. I confess my sin to you and ask you to forgive me of my sin and to be the Lord and the leader of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for those who prayed that for the first time tonight, who have just entered new relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us tonight that do know you as our Lord and as our Savior. Father, I pray that you would find us good and faithful. Lord, I pray we would be like the good servants, eager to put to work by faith what you've given us. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Put your hands together and thank the Lord tonight, church. Praise
1: God. Wasn't that good? Hey, I'm gonna ask that nobody would leave right now. I know that God is infinite, but your bladder is not. And if you can hold it a few more minutes, you know, we kept our our service short, so we can add a few closing thoughts here, but then I'll just dismiss you in a few minutes here. Um, Yeah, I love that encouragement to be ready, to be ready. And just after one of the services this morning, I was talking to a family in the church, a young man whose brother died two days ago in a quad accident. And I say that because you don't know how many days you have left on this earth. Not only we don't know when Jesus is going to return, but you don't know the days that you have left. And if you are not yet a believer, you need to get ready. And if you made that decision to accept Jesus, we have a table outside. It's orange, and there's a person there with Bibles, and they'll pray with you to accept Jesus if you want prayer. They'll tell you about your faith in Jesus and how to start walking it out. But I'm very grateful for this time we've had to focus on money. And the message that Nate shared tonight will impact your life in many ways beyond even just your finances if you put those principles into practice. Do you believe that? It's a great word that he gave. Uh, I wanted to take a minute to pastor you. These last few weeks we've talked about what the scriptures say and theology and, and there's some common questions that come up when you take a lot of these principles and then you go to put them into practice in your life. And then a lot of us, you haven't grown up in church, so you're not really familiar with some of the practicalities of these things. So let me answer some of the questions I've gotten in the last few weeks. And I get these same questions over the years again and again, because this is what people wonder. So first off, some people wonder, well, why is the church even talking about money? Are you talking about money, Pastor Ryan, because the church is struggling financially? Are you, are you talking about money because you built this new building and now it's hard to pay for? no. That's not why. If you don't know this, our church is very financially strong. We live way below our means. We have wisdom in our stewardship practices. We have many people that give faithfully. We don't talk about money because we need you to give more money for our sake, but we talk about it because it's an important discipleship issue for your sake. This will impact every part of your life and it's important for you to learn. Another thing, some people don't know this, they didn't really grow up in church. You know, we have about 50 something pastors and employees on staff at our church and they have set salaries, you know that? So when someone starts giving in the offering, you know, like if you start tithing this week, they're not gonna get more money this week. (laughs) Some people think that, they're just like, oh, maybe this guy wants more money. No, I want you to experience God's blessing in your life. Some people will ask a common question is, should I tithe on my pre-tax income, the gross income, or post-tax, or net income? And I've studied this a lot, trying to apply God's principles and wisdom to this issue. And it's not always easy to do that, but I I try to do my best. I honestly think that either would be okay with God. And some people will get kind of uh, legalistic about this, but I wanna give liberty whenever I can. And I believe God would bless you either way, whether you tithe before taxes or after taxes. And I'll just say this, um, most of you, you would find it's not that big of a difference, one. Uh, Another thing would be you're you're gonna also find you can't outgive God. So it's really not a matter of what's the least amount I have to give to be okay with God. What is the least amount I need to tithe? It's really like, hey, what can God do through me? And I guarantee you, you're not going to get to heaven someday and then hear Jesus say, bro, you gave a little too much. (laughs) You didn't have to give on on that first part. You're going to find out, hey, the more you give, the more God blesses you on. So if you give on, if you tithe on your gross income, God's going to bless you on your gross income, okay? So it's something to think about. Uh, Another common question people ask, you know, how should I do it? How often should I do it? And there's different ways. Some people tithe once a month for the whole month. Some people do it each week. Some people do it twice a month. The easiest way is probably just whenever you get a paycheck or whenever you get an income, increase a profit on a deal. For those of you who get paid on a salary, a set amount, I would strongly encourage you to set up automatic giving. This is something as a pastor, I'm hoping that we can get better at because really what that is, is you're deciding in advance, I'm going to tithe no matter what. And I think that's actually one of the most spiritual faith filled actions you can take. It's really using technology to your advantage. Like uh, most of you, you have a lot of your bills on auto pay. Like my my bill to Verizon is on auto pay. I don't even have to think about if I'm going to pay my cell phone bill this month because I don't really want to live life without my cell phone. And if I would automate my payment to Verizon, how much more would I consider automating my tithes and offerings to the Lord? So I would encourage you to automate what's important. And if you don't get paid on a salary basis and your paycheck is different each time, I would encourage you at least use a reminder in your phone. Set a reminder for your payday and have it pop up and have it remind you to honor God with your wealth. Set it to pop up, Proverbs three nine. honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. And you can go, oh yeah, that's right. Because otherwise people forget and we don't wanna forget God. He is first and he's most important. One people, they ask a lot of times is about different types of income. And they'll get kind of curious, you know, what about an inheritance? What about a bonus? What about social security payments? What about child support? What about disability payments? The answer is if it's an increase to your bank account that you get to live off of, then you should tithe on it to honor God with it first. People ask about, well, what if I own my own business? What about, should I I tithe on all that the business does? all the income that the business receives. And I would say mostly, no, you should tithe on what you pay yourself from the business, whatever you pay yourself out of the business, or if you sell it someday, maybe, maybe you would tithe on the profit from that business. People will ask this, uh, probably once a month I get asked this, Pastor Ryan, we just sold our house, should we tithe on the sale of our house because it went up in value? And I tell them, if you're using that money to buy another house, then you don't need to tithe on it. Cause you're not really taking that money to, to live off of it. It's not a profit. It's not an increase. You're just transferring the equity from that house to another house. Another thing that comes up, people will say, Hey, is it okay if I wait to start tithing until after I get out of debt? This is a funny one. Can I, I didn't share this with the morning service. You know, you get a little extra bonus teaching when you come to the PM service. One, one, one time I had a lady in the church who said, I'm gonna start tithing when I get out of debt, Pastor Ryan. I said, oh, that's interesting. I noticed that even while you're still in debt, your family still takes trips to Disneyland. Can I, can I say something that's a little, a little difficult to hear for some people? Are you sure? Because it's a little, it's a little. I'm gonna, say it, I'm gonna say it as nicely as I can. I'm gonna say it as nicely as I can. But sometimes the reason you get into debt is because you haven't been putting God first. And so it doesn't make sense to say, I'm gonna keep putting myself first until I get myself out of the problem that I created by putting myself first. (laughs) Thank you for being gracious. (laughs) People will ask this, you know, what if I want to tithe, but my spouse doesn't want to? I usually get asked this by women What if I wanna tithe, but my husband says no? Well, let me say this. First off, in any marriage, it's normal for one partner to have more faith in a given moment or in regards to certain types of issues. Sometimes a problem will come up in my life and I'll, I'll, I'll get stressed out trying to figure out how to solve it like a man would. You know, I'm gonna fix this. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna solve this problem. And Amy will have faith to go, Ryan, let's stop and pray. And I'm like, yeah, let's pray. And she told you last week, sometimes she has more faith to be generous than I do. And she's like, really? Are you sure you don't wanna give more? I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, w- I want to, I think. And so, if you're as a wife, if you have more of that natural inclination to trust God in this area, but your husband is struggling, that makes sense because he probably feels the weight of being the provider and wanting to make sure his family is okay. So, you as a wife, you can speak life to him and build his faith up by saying, Honey, I really think we should trust God. I trust God to take care of us, and I trust you to take care of me. Let's put God first. Let's test him in this and see what he does. And if he still says no, if he still says no, I would encourage you to submit to your husband and pray for him and, and pray for God to work on his heart. Cause I don't want this to be an issue that causes division in your family. Uh, but I believe that God will work on your husband. Now, if you're the husband and your wife doesn't want to tithe, what do you do? You start tithing for your family cause you're the leader of your family. Like I want us to start tithing. And she's like, I don't really want to. And you're like, well, we're doing it anyway. And it makes sense that sometimes a wife would be scared about that because a lot of times women, they fear if they feel insecure about something like that, like, are we gonna be okay? But as a husband, you just lead with strength and you go, don't worry, honey, I'm gonna take care of you and God's gonna take care of us. Let's go. (laughs) Just wait till the marriage series, y'all. Just wait. I'm gonna get canceled by someone up in here. People say, how should I teach all this to my kids? And I would say something simple, like get a jar system, you know, three jars. And you know, the, you get allowance, they get some kind of present, they earn some money. Just start teaching them when they're young. Hey, the first 10% is God's, the next 10% is for saving. The next 80% is you can spend. Could you imagine if your parents taught you that when you were a little kid? Some of you, how, how much trouble would that have saved you? And then a lot of you have struggled with this and you thought, I haven't been doing it God's way. What does that mean? Like, do I owe God back tithes? (laughs) I actually know a couple guys who they they were wealthier and they had the money and they were like, I figured out I owe God like tithings." So he like, they paid this like large lump sum of and like, but not everybody can do that. And I wouldn't tell anybody they have to do that because God doesn't want you to feel like you're in debt to him. He already paid the debt for you for your sins. So this is not about what you've been doing or feeling guilty about the past. It's about once you know the right thing to do and you get convicted by the Holy Spirit, like this is the right thing to do, you just start doing it going forward. That's the Christian life. We are covered by God's grace, amen? It takes faith to put God first. And one of the ways that uh, that God blesses us when we step out in faith is he teaches us through tithing contentment. I believe. One of the common testimonies I hear is a lot of people, they'll say, hey, okay, I'm doing this from now on. You start tithing on this next paycheck, you pay your, you give your your tithe to God and then you're paying your bills, you know, your mortgage and, and your electric bill and you get to the end of the month and you go, oh wait, there's not enough money left for lattes. And I might have to actually bring my lunch to work instead of eating takeout. And people tell me this, this happens all the time. They'll go, you know what I found out? I was okay. I was okay with less. They learn to be content with less. And that happens a lot of times before God starts to bless you with more. Do you know, this is an important lesson that we learn, I think through tithing, because this is a common trend. I think it's really sad, but in America, across the board churches, their giving goes down in January. Why is that? It's because a lot of people end up sending what belongs to God to Visa and MasterCard to pay for the Christmas toys they brought their kids and the things that they've spent money on to impress people they don't even like. And so we, sometimes we get caught up buying things we don't even need to impress people we don't even like, or we buy things we don't need to make ourselves feel better about a problem in some other area of our life. And God wants to teach us satisfaction that, man, I don't need all that stuff. What I need is to be obedient to God. This principle of tithing and giving offerings has a trickle-down effect that results in blessing in every part of your life. This is because it goes back to the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's Matthew six. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So think about this logically. I like logic. When you tithe to Jesus, you return the tithe to Jesus, you're gonna to start to love Jesus more because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And as you love him more, you're gonna to wanna to be close to him more. And so you're gonna to start to spend more time reading the Bible and, and worshiping him and talking to him in prayer. And what do you think that's gonna to do to you? The more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. And as you become more like him, guess what else is gonna happen? That's gonna affect every other part of your life. Do you think you'll be a better husband when you're more like Jesus? Yeah. Ladies, you think you'll be a better wife when you're more like Jesus? Yeah, you think you'll be a better parent, more like Jesus, a better business owner, a better employee? In in every way, this affects your life. And also there's a a practical element. When you bring your tithe to your local church, people will wonder, you know, can I split my tithe up to this nonprofit and this church? And I like this church too. And, And it's no, remember Jesus, or God says this in Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe to my storehouse. So all of our tithe goes to our local church when you bring it to your local church, remember where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You start to love your church more. And sometimes I meet people around town, I'll be like, where do you go to church? You know, and they'll be like, you know, first whatever church of whatever. And I'll be like, do you like it? And they'll go, meh. And I'm like, oh, it always makes me sad as a pastor. I'm like, oh, I hate that for, for this church. <laughs> but, but I found, you know, we have a very generous church and we also have a, peop- a lot of people that really love their church when you love your church more you want to be there more. Do you, do you think going to church more often is going to help your marriage more? Yes. You think being in church more often is going to help you as a parent? You think raising your kids in church more often is going to help them grow up in the ways of the Lord? Yes, yeah, so it just trickles down. The blessing is not just financial. We don't just give to get more. When we give, when we put God first, It blesses every part of our life. Everything else can fall into its proper place. And this is an important thing that I think we're gonna see God do great things in our church in the times ahead, the days ahead. In Malachi, the the whole theme is returning to God. Return to me and I will return to you. And I've found that when people start putting God first in their finances, it leads to incredible seasons of revival and spiritual breakthrough. And I believe God has a spiritual breakthrough in store for us in the days ahead. So what we're gonna do next, uh, we're just gonna take this last part of the service to receive the offering, the tithes and the offering, like we normally do. And uh, I'm gonna pray for it. And then I just got two quick announcements about the next two weeks. Lord, we thank you for all that you blessed us with. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you with our wealth. And I pray for all those who are trusting you in this area of their life. I pray for those who are taking their first steps in this series to trust you with their finances. I pray that you would just bless them and encourage them. And I thank you for all the souls you're gonna reach through the ministry of this church as we give and as we use what you've trusted us with as good stewards. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.